We now return to Bringing Light into Darkness Monday News and Analysis with our guest, Chuck Collins with WealthInequality.org and author of the book, Wealth Hoarders, How Billionaires Pay Billions to Hide Trillions. He was discussing how 70 to 80 percent of the American public support appropriate taxing on the wealthy, but it seems to be a pipe dream to actually actualize. Enjoy. These policies are really popular. 70 to 80 percent of voters support increasing taxes on the wealthy. A majority of Republicans and independents and Democrats all agree. So the fact that our political system can't implement something that's so widely popular just shows how much the power of wealth can block meaningful change. But the good news is the pressure is building for those kind of tax policies. Yeah, it's interesting because there was a human rights report. We're always chastising China for all of its problems. And China some years ago started generating its own human rights report of the United States. <laughs> and, and, and there's, and there's yeah. qu- quite a bit of really very well documented human rights violations in the United States that are rarely covered by our mainstream press and without great depth. And therefore, there's a lack of concerns that any American should be concerned about, regardless of the source of the report, right? But yep. as a, and, and I guess part of this problem is I just am really lacking faith in, in Democrats as well as Republicans. I mean, it, in this report, it talked about the amounts of monies that went into our election. First of all, the public trust in the U.S. elections was in crisis, according to a Gallup poll released in October of 2020. Only 19% of Americans said they were confident about even the accuracy of the presidential election. But the large amount of monies and the influence of monies in our electoral politics, they write in this report, essentially makes it a money-led election. Uh, Money is a driving force. America's money, I'm just paraphrasing these words here, America's money politics has distorted public opinion, turning elections into a one-man show for the rich. The amount spent in the 2020 U.S. presidential and congressional campaigns hit $14 billion U.S. dollars, more than double that was spent in 2016. The presidential campaign at $6.6 billion, while congressional was around $7 billion. And then according to a November 1, 2020 report on a CNBC website, the top 10 donors in 2020 U.S. election cycle contributed over $640 million U.S. dollars. So, Chuck, when we have that much money being poured into Democrats and Republicans, coffers, and you look at the profile of the people that do serve our democracy as re- representatives, the overwhelming influence is, I don't care how straight-arrowed you are, there's great influence to have tainted positions that portray doing the right thing, because if you don't do it, the money will be put against you and you'll be run out. So I guess it's kind of just a, a reflection and, and, a, and a question for you. We need these reforms so badly, but if we don't really look at the overall system itself and also make radical reforms there, it just seems like there's very little chance that money won't continue to have this overwhelming influence at the detriment of the majority population interests of our country. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the pickle that we're in is as wealth concentrates in fewer hands, those wealthy people deploy their power, their wealth and power, to rig the rules to get more wealth and power. It becomes kind of a vicious cycle. Right. And it becomes harder and harder to intervene in that. So now you have a system where the wealthy are using their power to block reforms that are very, very popular to uh, maintain this hidden wealth system against the popular will. 
So it's really going to take a tremendous upsurge of ordinary people power, and it's going to require people losing elections because they are failing to fix the system. You know, and there's going to be a lot of finger pointing, but right now there is bold legislation to reduce the influence of money in politics and to protect our elections and restore voting rights and all kinds of things like that. Mm -hmm. But it's being blocked by the Mitch McConnell Senate filibuster. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is the dilemma that our society's in right now. But I take encouragement from the fact that there's this overwhelming pressure from below to change these systems. Mm-hmm. Very good. So let me ask you this, because in one of your articles I was reading, it was, I'm not sure if it was the Progressive article or the Nation article, but, but you've already kind of spoken to it, but I wanted to ask you to go back to it again. I think it was the Nation article, in fact. But you were talking about how these Pandora leaks had demonstrated that the United States, including the Virgin Islands, I think, and then also you cite that there were the most active trusts were South Dakota, where there was 81, and they're holding at least $367 billion in assets. Florida, 37. Delaware, 35. Texas, 24. Nevada, 14. And that these trusts appear to be catering to mostly non-U.S. citizens. So, if are these like banks or something like if I own that bank and I've got some part of that three hundred and sixty seven billion in assets, I, what what type of money do they make on that, that that makes it so attractive to you know create these havens? Yeah, well these are these are trust companies, and they form trusts. So Pedro, if you took your billion dollars to South Dakota and you say I want to create a trust for all my heirs and heirs for the next century. They would create an anonymous trust. You would be the grantor creating the trust. They would designate a trustee who would do your bidding, and you would designate these recipients. It would be anonymous, and it would exist in perpetuity. And the wealth, your billion dollars, would grow and grow and grow untaxed in that trust and distribute funds to your grandchildren and great-grandchildren and on down the line. And it's sort of a way that the wealthy just build inherited wealth dynasties and perpetuate these deep inequalities. So it's usually the wealth defense industry and professionals will kind of use different layers. They'll, you know, maybe they'll have an offshore bank account and an anonymous shell company, and then the assets come back onshore in the U.S. in the form of ownership of a trust or luxury real estate in an urban area. These are all the, the shells in the shell game that these industries, these enablers use to help the wealthy. So let me see if I understand this then. So it's like you put these billions and billions of dollars in a place that since you've got so many billions of dollars, you don't need the money, (laughs) but you put it someplace that it'll never get taxed and it continues to grow, right? How is it any different than like hoarding, you know, tons and tons of food that doesn't go bad, but nobody can access it? It's a form of it's a form of hoarding. It's a it's it's a form of you know when you hoard so much more than you need, it's essentially an antisocial behavior, and it's power. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it ultimately translates into political and social power for a small group of people over time, and that's where you know we should be concerned about this, not just because of basic inequality, but because of you know the impact it has on democracy. Mm-hmm. You know the French economist Thomas Piketty said, you know if we if we don't do anything about this, if we just allow these inequalities to continue on autopilot, a generation from now, our society will be dominated 
by the sons and daughters of today's billionaires. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they will have, you know, they'll dominate our politics and economy, culture and philanthropy. They're, they're, they're just going to rule the roost. So that's the ultimate concern is dynasties block opportunity for everyone else. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the biggest harm over time is how ordinary people are going to not have good lives. They're not going to have opportunity because the wealthy will be hoarding not only wealth, but also opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, let me just again remind our listeners that we're visiting with Chuck Collins. He's the co-author with Mary Wright of The Moral Measure of the Economy, a book about ethics and economic life. He's also the director at the Institute uh, for policy studies, where he co-edits the uh, inequality.org website. His book, The Wealth Hoarders, How Billionaires Pay Millions to Hide Trillions, is one of the books that he has written. And I guess what I wanted to ask you to talk a little bit about, okay, so the article that you wrote, Shut Down U.S. Tax Havens, an October 5th article in the, the Progressive magazine, and you're talking about these Pandora Papers, and you indicated that, that your role in the release of the Pandora Papers, acknowledged in many international stories, was to serve as an advanced source for foreign reporters to understand the U.S. wealth hiding system. Now, you've talked about these locations and the numbers of them. Can you just kind of drill down a little bit into the techniques of how billionaires hide their money from proper types of taxation? Obviously, trust is, is one deal, and maybe you can explain that a little bit more, but more importantly, what are some of the other tools in the, in the toolbox that you think people should know about? Well, first, I just think it's important to understand that wealthy people don't do this by themselves. They have help, and they, that's where they hire these, you know, what, what we call the wealth defense industry, usually attorneys, accountants. There are professional wealth managers for the super rich. They kind of understand all these tools in the toolbox, if you will. And the tools include anonymous bank accounts in offshore secrecy jurisdictions where you know those banks do not have to report information on their depositors. The depositors can remain anonymous. Anonymous shell companies where you can create a corporation, whether it's in Delaware or Panama, where someone else is designated as the contact, but the real beneficial owner is anonymous. It includes trusts. And trusts are kind of an archaic ownership form that don't have to be registered and don't really have much in the way of transparency. And trust law is a place where the wealth defense industry has kind of warped and manipulated the trust form to benefit their wealthy clients. And oftentimes, the wealth defense industry will add various layers of complexity to their wealth hiding schemes so that it's hard to follow the money. Uh, complexity is their bread and butter, and that's what they're paid to do. So, you know, the billionaires have the money to be able to afford to hire these enablers, and they in turn do the bidding of the super rich. And, you know, they will move the money around the world. They'll help help uh, wealthy people get passports in multiple jurisdictions, mm-hmm. and they will take advantage of the fact that different jurisdictions are competing against each other to attract this international money and can pit each other, you know, so if one country decides, well, we want to, uh, you know, tax some of the money in this trust, well, boom, off they off they go to another jurisdiction that won't tax them. Very good. Um, so the, the only, you know, the only uh, solution is to reverse that, to raise standards, to get countries to increase their 
standards, and, and this is happening right now, there's a push for a global corporate minimum income tax. Uh, and hundreds of countries today came to an agreement, over 100 countries, t- to support a global corporate minimum income tax. And some of the holdouts, like Ireland, have finally come around. And that's going to be significant. So that's just an example where instead of a race to the bottom, people are coming together to lift up standards. Right. Very good. Well, listen, let me ask you a big question. You you mentioned something very interesting to me. You, so you got these wealth managers. You got people that are so well-skilled, apparently, and tell me if I'm saying this right, but part of the tool in the toolbox is to construct this complexity so that you cannot really track all of these unethical behaviors, if you will. And so it's it's almost like somebody that's trying to elude you know, the law or whatever, and they're covering their tracks and all of this type of stuff, and they're creating a bunch of rabbit holes that, that people have to go down looking that they maybe won't be able to find anything. Is that what you mean when you talk about the complexity, creating artificial complexity to kind of keep accountability from ever having a good as good a chance as it might should? Absolutely. In fact, it's kind of humorous, but some of the um, leaks from the Pandora Papers are pictures, schematics, showing, you know, 28 corporations and how they play, you know, trade and shift assets back and forth. Right. You know, so there some, you know, some of these wealth defense people have, you know, have to design little roadmaps to understand what it is they've created, you know. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Well, listen, I also wanted to go back to your article that uh, I really found it very insightful, the progressive article, the shut down the U.S. tax havens article. You mentioned that the harm, it's not just people hiding their money and having money and having an inordinate amount of money, but there are reciprocal effects upon majority populations. That, In other words, when you hide wealth and then it's not taxed and therefore you accrue more and more and this whole explosion of wealth inequality that occurred during the pandemic, you know, and it actually the largest expansion of wealth inequality in our country, I believe, was in President Obama's presidency uh, until Trump came. And then it was even more so during that presidency. So, you know, you have, I want to be clear that I feel like so much of these issues are bipartisan. But I guess what I wanted to really get back to is a fact, and I'm reading from your article, second, the hidden wealth system leads to tax hikes on the non-rich. So you need monies in order to generate, you know, whether it's infrastructure or or whatever else the country needs. And if you don't have a proper taxation policy where you have the wealthy avoiding taxes, apparently the non-rich get taxed at a higher rate to contribute to that revenue. And then finally, what's connected to that is my studying, very, very critical of the lottery system, but had some shows back in 2008 that showed that because of our taxation system being so and that this was like a regressive form of taxation, right? So you find that the people that overwhelmingly play lottery are the ones not billionaires, right? They don't need the money. They don't put their money there. And, and, and as a consequence, poor people play the lottery much more often and, and then a substantial amount of those monies go back into, you know, normally what would be taxed tax-generated type services, whether they're schools or et cetera. But can you speak to that, the, 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 the serious harms that you mentioned? Can you, can you overview that in the last few minutes that we have with you? Yeah, I think, Pedro, you make a, a really important point, which is one of the biggest harms of the system is that when wealthy people don't pay their fair share of taxes, 
they basically shift the bill to everybody else. And a, and a recent disclosure found that the richest 400 people in the United States pay an average effective tax rate of 8.2%, and the average taxpayer in the U.S. pays about 14%. And the most progressive taxes have been eliminated. And the most regressive taxes, like lotteries, have increased. So more and more we're paying for public goods and services through regressive taxes, which are disproportionately paid by low- and middle-income people. Mm -hmm. So part of what we're saying here is we need to restore taxes on the wealthy to maintain fairness. And, you know, at least we want the wealthy to pay at the same levels as, as everybody else instead of gaming the system. So that's one of the ways it really touches us personally. You know, and if, and if the wealthy don't pay, the other alternative is we make budget cuts. We go create austerity. We say there is no money for that new hospital. There is no money to take care of veterans. There's not enough money to uh, help children get out of poverty. Right. That's what we hear. And that's the result of an artificial scarcity created by these tax shiftings at the very top. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that's why you see all these commercials at the end of each day imploring you to send money to veterans that need housing and, and, and all of that. So you, here you are getting the good, hard-working Americans to send in their hard-earned dollars and, and that type of thing because we just have this ridiculous amounts of untaxed monies just sitting idle, being hoarded, just to use that word again. you Lastly, you indicated that it contributes to this growing economic inequality that we've been talking about. That's a big concern of this show. We believe that wealth inequality is the most pernicious issue when we come to trying to alleviate this, what I would consider human-created misery because it's preventable. Yes. Can you speak to that just real briefly, too? How does the hidden wealth system create the growing economic inequality? Well, you can sort of see it you know, in these great dynasties, and as you said at the outset of the show, Pedro, you know, during the pandemic, wealth has, has surged for the very wealthy, and they're putting that into these hidden wealth systems, and they're building multi-generational inherited wealth dynasties, you know, families with huge blocks of wealth and power, and they're going to use that power to block opportunity and for everyone else. So, you know, the Pandora Papers system, the hidden wealth system, is one of the engines of inequality. It's one, of, and the and the wealth defense industry are the agents of inequality. They're the enablers, the mm -hmm. the accomplices. But that the good news is, is this is a fixable system. You know, as we learn more about it and talk about it uh, on programs like yours, and you know, you've been talking about this for eighteen years, and I think it's helping. It's having an impact because people understand these inequalities really undercut the quality of life for everybody. Right. Um, no, I think you put it well. I think, you know, American people are good people. And if, if they know what's really going on, they will demand corrections as needed. It's just the inundation of propaganda and all these things is, can create such confusion that many times we advocate for things that are against our interests rather than for our interests without even really knowing it. Listen, I want to share that it has been such a pleasure having you and we've got to have you back at some point. But Chuck, before I let you go, please tell us a little bit. If people want more information, more articles that contain 
the types of information and the resources that support that information, how would you suggest they access some of uh, additional work information of yours and your inequality.org site? Yeah, um, you know, well, first, I would just also say thank you for having me, and it's been a great discussion. And, um, you know, to your credit, you've you've really been one of those journalists who've really talked about these issues and educated the wider public. Um, and, and I have a one-stop shopping suggestion, which is inequality.org. Your listeners can go there. You can sign up for a weekly newsletter. It comes from me, and it has kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly, if you will, you know, and we try to have a sense of humor, and we have lots of visuals and pictures, and we have a little column called the Petulant Plutocrat of the Week, and Mm -hmm. anyway, the newsletter at inequality.org, but we really try to lift up the research, lift up the organizing and campaigns that are really making a difference, tell stories of people, how they're organizing and trying to address these inequalities in their lives. So through inequality.org, you'll find all kinds of resources and information to help your efforts locally. Very good. Very good. Well, listen, Chuck, thank you so much for your time and your work. We'll continue to follow it and look forward to um, having you back on down the road if you're uh, wanting to come back. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Look forward to future discussions. Take care, Pedro. Okay. Look forward to learning together into the future. See you next week. Coming up next, do not go anywhere unless you're not on KOOP.org right now. Switch on over to the internet if you're on the FM dial to hear Emo Diaries with Co-op's very own Stephanie at the Disco. I can't wait. And as we go out, just another reminder, please take a moment to appreciate indigenous peoples everywhere, especially here in the United States, where Native Americans suffer the harshest forms of systemic racism in our culture today. So in a world in which so few have so much and so many have so little, we dedicate this show on wealth disparity and its 21st century methods of accumulation in celebration of Indigenous Day and Indigenous people everywhere. And we go out, as we do every week, with Land of Naivety.
Psychology. 